And if you have your Bibles, if you would go with me to Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, the first chapter, we're in a short series. We're preaching three messages from the first chapter of Second Thessalonians. And this is the encouragement for the saints, the encouragement for the saints. If you would, let's begin reading with verse three. And Paul writes, "We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so." Because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and the faith, and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Verse 5, all this is evidence that God's judgment is just, is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Now, God is just. Verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He'll punish those that don't know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. On the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed, this includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. Praise the Lord. You love the Word of God? Amen. Amen. And we we believe in preaching the whole counsel of God. Amen? Because we're we're simple enough to, to accept that God knew what He was doing when He gave us the book. And it does us well to preach the whole council, so we're a balanced people. And so we're in this three-part series, three sermons from this first chapter, and about the encouragement for the saints. The encouragement for the saints. Last time the encouragement was praise, and this time it's promise. But in this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage persecuted believers and to correct some misunderstandings they had concerning the Lord's return. These dear saints were experiencing persecution on the outside and then conflict on the inside. So Paul writes to encourage the suffering and to enlighten the confused. Because of their love and devotion for the Lord Jesus, they were suffering. Some were being arrested. Many were losing their jobs. They were being kicked out of their homes. Some were enduring physical attacks and assaults. And on the inside, there was some fear and confusion, some turmoil in the church because someone supposedly from the Apostle Paul, someone sent a letter supposedly from Paul, and it wasn't from Paul, but the letter said they had missed the coming of the Lord. They had missed the rapture. So you can imagine the confusion and the fear that was taking place when they thought, oh no, we missed it. So Paul, in this first chapter, he gives the believers three encouragements. Not just for them, but praise God, three encouragements that you and I can believe today, that you and I can receive grace and strength from as we walk with the Lord. We thank God that the Bible is a living book. We thank the Lord that He still speaks to His people. He's not a God out there somewhere who's silent, but He is a God that through His written Word and through the voice of His Holy Spirit, He speaks to His dear ones. He encourages our faith. He guides us as we walk this walk of faith. And if we have an ear to hear, 
God will speak to us again and again. He'll speak to us each day as we draw near and say, Father, here I am. Speak to me through your word. Speak to me and lead me by your spirit. And so I pray this morning that all of us will hear what the spirit has to say to each one of us that we can receive it and be strengthened by it and walk it out in Jesus name. Now, last week we said, number one, the encouragement of praise. That was verses 2 through 4, where Paul praised God and Paul applauded the people for the real spiritual progress that he saw in their lives. You see, it wasn't an easy time or it wasn't um, an easy climate to be a Christian. Circumstances were hard where they were at. But this group of people withstood every test. They weathered every storm. Instead of shrinking back, they faithfully walked on with Jesus. And Paul praised God and Paul applauded and praised this group of people for that faith. Number one, he said, your faith is growing. I praise God that your faith is growing. Hell's throwing everything at you. And instead of defeating you, it's just developing you. It's making you stronger. Paul says, I honor you, church. I applaud you. Because when things got tough, you didn't turn around and run. You continue to trust God. You continue to look unto Jesus and walk this walk of faith. And then he said, secondly, not only is your faith growing, but your love is abounding. Your love for one another. Because when the pressure's on, it's easy to get bitter. It's easy to turn inward but instead you kept loving one another and supporting one another and that is the real identification mark of a child of God Jesus said that's the mark how ye love one another is that identification to the world that you belong to Christ their faith was growing and their love it was abounding and their perseverance he writes in verse 4 is increasing instead of wearing out they were digging in and they were pressing on And they had found a new strength. They had found a secret of strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So when they went through the trial, instead of that trial wearing them down, they turned away and they clung unto God and received a strength from on high to continue on. And lastly, we touched on their testimony or their witness was expanding and spreading. Paul said, wow, you're going through all this. And actually... Your testimony is encouraging others when they're hearing about your faith and your love in the moment of crisis. So number one, last week, Paul gave them, Paul gave us the encouragement of praise. He said, church, God is pleased with you. And we say this morning to those that have an ear to hear, to those that are walking faithfully with Jesus, God is pleased with you. Keep it up. Keep fixing your eyes on the Lord. Don't turn back, but keep trusting God and He'll see you through. Can you say amen? And now we begin. Number two, the encouragement of promise. The encouragement of promise. This is verses 5-10. through After praising the church... Paul gives them some perspective on their present situation, their present persecution. No doubt some of them could have been wondering, man, where is God in the midst of this trial and in the midst of our sorrow? Why are those that are attacking us allowed to prosper and seemingly getting away with this? And Paul answers with the encouragement of God's promise. God's promise helps put things into perspective. And we'll see three different experiences within this promise. The encouragement of promise with God's unchanging and never failing promises. Paul encourages all battling believers and he speaks of, number one, of their reward. 
He speaks, number two, of their enemy's recompense. And he speaks, number three, of their eternal rest. These young believers were under pressure. They were facing some discouragement. They were going through a confusing time. But Paul lets them know that no matter how difficult their present circumstances may be, these believers have a secure and a settled and a glorious future. And so do you if you love the Lord. For the best is yet to come for the child of God. And this is the encouragement of the promise. And Paul reminds them of God's promises to His people concerning their eternal reward. And look at verse 5 with me. He writes, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy Hallelujah, of the kingdom of God. Man, Paul's saying, the way you went through those attacks and those persecutions, they prove that you have a genuine faith. They prove that you really are sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus. And you will be rewarded on that day. For God will honor those that have honored Him. And Paul is encouraging us this morning with the promise of what awaits the faithful. Our eternal reward should have, it's supposed to have a present effect. Our eternal reward, if we really believe it and understand it, should have. It's supposed to have a present effect on how we live and how we face life. The promise of God's eternal reward should motivate us and inspire us in this present hour. It should give us a hope as we look forward to that glorious day. It should fuel our faith and energize us as we walk in this world. It should keep us steady with our focus as we're looking unto Jesus and not on things that are temporal and deceptive. It keeps diligent our devotion because when we remember the eternal reward, it helps us to stay in love with Jesus. It helps us to stay on fire for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And your faith, child of God, will be rewarded. And knowing that should inspire you and encourage you. There will be a future reckoning, but there will also be a future recognition. And the reward of heaven and of God's approval upon us should move us and motivate us, comfort us and encourage us as we walk this walk of faith. The promise of eternal reward should encourage and inspire our present walk of faith. Three Bible examples. Three men that allow the eternal reward to have a very present effect. Number one, let's think of the Apostle Paul for a moment. We're familiar with his story. In Nero's prison, in Nero's ugliest, darkest dungeon, it wasn't right. It was unjust. He was there on false pretenses. He was there on false accusations. He was there for obeying the Lord. He's there awaiting His execution. But he knew that His reward was coming. He knew that He was only passing through Nero. Might imprison Him now, but He's going to a place where Nero will trouble Him no more. He's going to a place where the earthly chains of men will control Him no longer. He knew it would be worth it all on that day. And it kept Him positive in the present place because He knew that place wasn't going to win. And He knew that place wasn't forever. The Apostle Paul and the encouragement of heaven's reward, it kept Paul positive and 
and strong as he went through one of the darkest nights of his life. Remember his words, the familiar words from 2 Timothy 4 and 7. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Man, he's in a cold, dark dungeon. He's chained like a common criminal. His friends can't find him. He's lonely. He, he is um, awaiting his death. He's in the darkness and the, 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 the um, what do I can I say? The, the, the rats are all around him. It's a dungeon. He's not being fed right, but there's still a note of positiveness in the words that he writes. There's still a note of a triumphant spirit in what he leaves. And we say, Paul, why? How can you have such a, such an effect? How can you have such an attitude when you're in a place? And Paul would say to us, it's because of what's coming. Look at verse 8. One reason Paul says, I can say, I fought a good fight. One reason I can stay positive and I can keep going forward in the Lord is because there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, Nero's not a righteous judge, but there is a righteous judge. And He'll call it right. And He'll call it true. There is a righteous judge that will award me. There is a reward that awaits the child of God. He says, I'm looking forward to a day where Rome's prison cannot control me and hell's lies will no longer control me, but I'll know Jesus and I'll walk with Jesus and I'll hear that well done, thy good and faithful servant. He says, on that day, God has a crown of righteousness, not just for me, but for all who long for His appearing. Does anybody long for the appearing of the Lord? He says, you've got an award. You've got a reward. And Jesus is going to bless you. So keep positive in your present circumstance. Keep walking forward, even though hell tries to distract you. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life trials, they will seem very, very small when we see Christ. In this life, we must put up with some discomfort. We must go through some heartache and some disappointment. But oh, I want you to know, if we'll look ahead and allow that eternal reward to give us inner strength, if we'll keep looking forward to that day, faith will come alive and we will walk, but we will not grow weary. We will run and we will not faith. Looking ahead to the reward, being strengthened by God's promise. He stays positive in the hard times. But that's not all. When I look ahead to God's reward, it helps me not just to stay positive in the hard times, it helps me to choose properly in the present time. Moses is another example. I believe we're all familiar with Moses. He allowed the promise of God's eternal reward to inspire his present faith and his behavior and help Moses choose properly and live for eternity. It helped Moses to make an evaluation of what really matters and what really is worth it. He chose properly. Have you made the choice? Have you looked at this world and have you weighed what matters, the eternal versus the temporal? The way of the Lord Jesus or the way of your friends and your peers and all those. Moses, because he was able to look forward to the reward and help put everything else in perspective, he realized this is not worth my soul. He realized that relationship, it's not worth my soul. He realized that position, it's not worth my soul. Let's look at it together. Hebrews 11, 24 through 20. Very familiar. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We have to refuse the old life. Can you say amen? 
Number one, if I really believe there's an eternal reward and it's worth everything or it's worth nothing, then I learn that I have to refuse that old life. I'm no longer that old person. I'm no longer chasing after those old things. I've got a new Lord. I've got a new joy. I've got a new passion. Can you say amen? Look at that next verse. He chose. He chose. He made a choice. Because he knew the eternal reward. And that eternal reward gave him a proper perspective of his present time. He was able to choose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. That relationship is not worth your soul if it's not of God. That party life and that drink is not worth your soul. You have to make a choice. Understanding the eternal reward helps us to put things in perspective and make proper evaluations of what I will live and who I will serve and what I will... You've got to choose. He regarded disgrace. You see, when you can look at things through the eyes of the eternal, it changes how you regard things and it changes how you value things. It'll change how you prioritize things. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value. Your whole value system gets radically upside down when you come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, I mean really come to Him and give Him your life and give Him your all. And you're born from above. There is a radical transformation on how you see life, how you evaluate life, what you think is important and what you don't. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of a greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because He was looking ahead to His reward. Oh my Lord. Looking ahead to that reward, he made an evaluation of what mattered. All this was inspired by the reward that was ahead of him. The future versus the temporal. Moses, an example of a man that because of his eternal reward, he was able to make some wise and proper choices in the now. And it changed everything. You have to be able to take eternity into consideration. When you choose who your friends will be. When you choose what path you're going to walk. When you choose how you're going to live. Somebody say amen. Help me out here. There's an encouragement that comes when we remember the promise of heaven's reward. With Paul, it kept him positive in a place where others would have been giving up and cursing and saying, where is God now? But he's I can look beyond this. I see something greater. There awaits for me. And all that love is appearing. There awaits a crown. It's better than anything this world has to offer. And Moses had helped him to make some wise decisions where Moses had it all as far as the world is concerned. He, he's a prince and he's a general and he had the riches of Egypt, but then he had an encounter with the living God. And all of a sudden a different perspective came into his life. And when that perspective comes, you begin to weigh things differently. What matters and what doesn't matter. And because he had that eternal perspective, because he understood there is a real eternal reward for those that will serve the living God. And then he looked at that and he looked at Egypt. He looked at that and all the grandeur and glory of Egypt. He said, you know what? This doesn't even come near that. Forget that. I'm going this way. And it pressed him and it moved him. Jesus is another example. You know, the Bible says that for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. 
despising its shame. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. For the reward that was before him. Thank God that reward included you and it included me. Yes, 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 it included the, the, the approval of the Father. But beyond that, it included my soul and your soul. And the Bible says, for the joy that's set before him, he endured the cross. And you and I are able to endure a lot of the discomforts and, and, and the harsh things and the unfair things of this world. Jesus talked about the injustice of injustice. He's on that cross taking your sin and taking mine. He's on that cross. Why, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Being separated from the Father. But He endured it. He went through it. He put up with it because He knew it was only it was only a going through. It wasn't the end. He knew it was something that in the end there was a prize. In the end there was an award. In the end there was a victory. Child of God, you can endure it. But God will give you the grace to endure it. You can go through it because God will help you to go through it. And I want you to know on the other side of that trial, there is a well done thy good and faithful servant that's worth more than all the world can offer. Hallelujah! And Paul encourages these young believers with the promise of eternal future reward. And may that same thought, may that same promise keep you and I marching and believing and trusting and serving Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? It's good to know where you're going, doesn't it? Reminds me of that story. You might have heard it before. The famous scientist, Albert Einstein, was on the train and the, the ticket guy came through, the conductor came through and, and he couldn't find his ticket. He had his paperwork, you know, he's a little disheveled. He's looking, he can't find it. And so the conductor said, that's all right, Doc. You take this train into the city all the time. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't cheat us. Um, don't worry about it. And so the ticket guy just went through. And before he changed carts, he looked back and there, there he is on his hands and knees. There's old Dr. Einstein. He's looking underneath and, and he comes back and says, please, doc, doc, sit up in your chair. We, I know who you are. I know you wouldn't rip us off. You, you don't, don't worry about your ticket. I know who you are. And Einstein looks up and says, son, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> you know what? As a child of God, we know where we're going and we know what awaits. Can you say amen? Let me give you one more. We're Romans 8 and 18. Because we know where we're going. We know what awaits. And we know the effect it has on us now. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings, our present challenges, our present trials are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can you say amen? Oh, isn't God good to us? Oh, what a God, what a God, what a God. Hallelujah. And this is the first encouragement Paul is saying to this church, because again, they're going through trials. They're getting in prison. They're losing their jobs. And Paul says, listen, listen, God has counted you worthy because of your continuing faith and your, your unwillingness to yield and go back to the world, staying firm with Jesus. God is going to be able to count you worthy on that day. Let that promise of reward keep you going. This is not forever, but glory will be. The trial won't last forever, but the presence of Jesus is for eternity. Hallelujah! And then he gives them the promise, also includes a recompense. This is interesting. Look, if you would, um, at verse 6. Let's read just a little bit here. He writes, Now God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed. 
from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And we'll just pause there. Now, this is good, the recompense. Paul's saying, now listen, you don't need to fight back. You don't need to get bitter. You don't need to think they're getting away with it. They're not. I read the other day, you know, unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Hmm. You drink the poison, wait for them to die. So Paul is, Paul is writing, no, no, don't allow the enemy to provoke you with this. Because when we go through something, the enemy, he's a liar and he accuser, the Bible says. And he's quick to provoke us. Ha-ha, they're getting away with it. Ha-ha, see, no one knows the truth. Ha-ha, hey, God's not defending you. Ha-ha. And Paul said, no, 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 there's a promise of recompense. No one's going to get away with anything. God is a righteous judge, but he's the judge. We're not. So don't, you'll give it to God. Stop allowing the enemy to use it as an open door to harass you and discourage you and play with you. If you can trust God for your salvation, you can trust God with his justice. And there'll be no dream team to get anybody off on that day. On that day, there is a court. (laughs) And there is a God. And so as believers, I don't, have to, I don't have to fret. And I don't have to allow the enemy to play with it. I just said, the Lord is going to take care of it. God is perfect, even in His justice. Verse 6, obviously, this is referring to those who were persecuted, to those who persecuted the Thessalonian believers. Because God is just. He will not allow evil to go unpunished. Those who persecuted the Thessalonians will experience the judgment of God. Now, God will recompense or repay affliction to the lost, but He will give relief, rest to the saved. Now, obviously, this doesn't all happen on this side of eternity. And sometimes the righteous struggle with that. You can read entire Psalms where the psalmist is struggling, almost backsliding because this seems like the world's getting away with it. It seems like God is allowing it. They say, why should we live godly if that's how it is? But friends, that's why you and I must live for eternity, not just for the present. Because God will judge justly. He will judge perfectly. He will judge precisely. Now, on our midweeks and on our Sunday nights, those that come out, we do more thorough Bible studies. That's not my intention here. That's not my intention this morning. But let's just understand this much. God will judge, and God is a God of justice. You want to get your understanding of God. Not from our culture, not from the media, not even from our own personalities and temperaments, because we tend to warp things. But let us get it from a proper understanding and study of the Word of God. Can you say amen? Justice. God will give what is due, whether it's to award or it's to judge. If you would very quickly, Psalm 11 and 7, Psalm 11 and 7. For the Lord is righteous and He loves justice. Upright men will see His face. God loves justice. So if you think you love justice, you got nothing over God. God loves justice. If fallen, cruel men can get enraged when the guilty get off scot-free, how much more a holy, holy, holy God? 
I want you to understand this because a lot of people are struggling with what they see. People got away with this and God allowed that. No one's getting away with anything unless it gets under the blood and then it goes on Jesus. So we have to recognize that because the enemy... See, Paul saying, listen, Thessalonians, God is just. He's going to deal with them. You don't have to get ugly. You don't have to go firebomb um, um, their, their, their idol houses. You don't got to say mean, ugly things. You walk in love and you pray for their souls. God will deal with them. God will deal with them. And if you can trust God to deal with them, then you can press on and do things for eternity and not get ugly like the world gets. We'll go to that next verse, Jimmy, please. Psalm 85 and verse 14. Psalm 85 and, and verse 14. Again, God loves justice. He is a God of justice. And in fact, the justice of God is the very foundation of His character. People think about justice. Psalm 84, 85, Psalm 85 in verse 14. It's not coming up back there. Amen. You're going to make me look it up. Hallelujah. Who's got anybody got it? Read it. No. Um, oh, hallelujah. There we go. Right. Well, how about the next? Can we get the next one? Is that it? Can we, go the, can we get the next one? Then we'll be in good shape. How about that? There's one. And a two. And a three. And a four. Amen. 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 All right. We'll get it. We'll get it. Let's look it up. I want you to read this. But I want you to be able to take... I want you to be able to take that open door that the enemy uses to afflict you. Because sometimes we don't trust that God is a God of justice. And we allow the enemy to play with us and harass us. And it gets under our skin as if God was not holy. As if God is not true to His Word. And we need to let certain things go because we were not created to enforce certain things. But God will enforce everything. And if we can entrust Him with the justice or the injustices that we have perceived or received, it will free us from that burden that we're not meant to carry. And it will put it in the hands of the only one that's really qualified to carry it. Amen? Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Because that's where we want to get. God is so good to us. He's a God of justice. He's the only one that can do it perfectly. Isn't that right? We can't. We can't. I can't. You can't. We can't. But I can give it to Him and I can walk free from all that. Hallelujah. All right, 84. And what verse did I say? 85. What did I say? I'm glad you're listening to me. I don't know where I'm at. Here we go. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. Messing me all up, aren't you? Wow, wow, look at that. Praise the Lord. Is this a trick question or what? All right, all right. All right, all right. All right, all right, well, hallelujah. Wow. All right, we're going to hold it there. Oh, hallelujah. Look at this. I'll go through the whole thing. I'll find it. Don't worry, I'll find this. You're not going anywhere. I'll find this. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to find this. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. That's all right. That's all right then. It's going to speak of justice being part of the throne of God. His throne is established on justice. The very character of God includes justice. Because God being perfect and God being holy, He cannot make a bad evaluation. He can never make a mistake. And God is a God of perfect fairness. No one gets away with anything. Either it gets under the blood of Jesus or it will be properly dealt with. Every word, every thought. He is the righteous judge. 
And before his court, no split glory is getting anybody off. Before his court, no one's going to, oh, we've got to throw it out because, you know, something silly happened with the evidence. God said, no, I know everything. So whatever's been done to you, however life has harmed you, I encourage you, entrust the justice of that to God. Because you can't properly express it anyhow. And all it does is give the enemy an opportunity to harass you and to discourage you. And to say, see, God really doesn't care. And if God really cared for you, He wouldn't allow him to get away with that. And you can stop and say, devil, you're a liar. No one's getting away with anything. God is just. And He'll deal with that. Because my job is not to put out justice. My God is to commit it all to the one who is perfect in His justice. What is our job? Go ahead if you would. Oh, there it is. You found it. Glory to God. Righteousness and justice. Hallelujah. Jimmy, today's your day, man. Hey, today is your day. My goodness. I want to give him an extra whatever he gets. Amen. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Wow. That's the very fabric of his character. Love and faithfulness go before you, but the foundation. You can trust God with that wound. You can trust God with that injustice. And if you'll give it to God, you'll be free. You'll be free from that burden. You'll be free from that open door that the enemy used to harass you and to afflict you and to tease you and to provoke you. What's our job? Go ahead to Romans and we'll look at that. Well, how's my response to the injustice? How's my response? Well, the Bible says I'm not to repay anyone evil for evil. Mm. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Hallelujah. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do our best to walk in love. Amen? Do our best to forgive like Jesus forgave us. Not always easy. And we need a lot of grace to do it sometimes. Amen? But we got to at least try. Isn't that right? we got to at least try. All right? That's that next one. Um, do not take revenge. That's Paul's word to the, the Romans. They were another church that going through some terrible persecution, being treated unfairly, a lot of injustice. And so on. I want to take the justice. No, no, you better give that to God. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for what? God's wrath. See, part of the promise that Paul was saying to Thessalonians, listen, there's the promise that God's going to deal with it. God's going to, God's going to deal with those that have messed with you. So you don't have to get bitter. You don't have to feel like people got away with it. You can just keep trusting the Lord and loving people. You can keep just loving people and praying for people and walking faithfully with the Lord. And if anyone deserves anything, God who misses nothing will deal with them properly unless they come to Jesus and get it under the blood. So don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, this is what the Bible says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. I think a lot of times people, they walk around with a burden. It becomes an open door for the enemy to afflict them and harass them. They got away with it. They got away. No, they didn't. They got away with it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. God will deal. And if you can entrust the justice or the injustices of your life to God, it will bring a great measure of freedom and deliverance to your soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, Lord. What kind of future does the unbeliever face? What does the future look like for someone that is um, a Christ rejecter? Well, note the words that Paul uses here. 
He uses in our text the words like tribulation and trouble, vengeance and punishment, everlasting destruction, shut out, trouble, flaming fire. But we learn this morning from this text, God is just. And there's a promise of recompense that God will deal with those that have been uncruel, unkind to you. God will, God will defend the righteous. And God will properly take up your cause. He says, I'll contend with those that contend with you. So you don't have to do that. It's not for you to carry out. It's for God to carry out. It's for you to do your best to walk in love and, and, and to pray for people and to let God be God. But give it to them. But entrust it with them because if the enemy can get in your head, they got away with it. That's an open door for frustration and anger and affliction. But when you say, devil, you're alive. No one got away with it. I got a promise of recommends. God will deal with those. They have been unkind and unruly in their dealings with me. God is just and the justice of God, the justice of God brings punishment on repentant sinners. And it may be here and now, but definitely it will be on that day. I remember um, Dr. Wearsby wrote a story in one of his books about out in the um, old, old West, out in the old West, the frontier days, out in a frontier town, there was a a horse that bolted with the wagon and his little child was on it and he was heading somewhere dangerous and it looked like the little child was going to get terribly injured, maybe killed. And the young man risked his life and ran up and jumped on the wagon and, and saved, saved the child. And the story says that the child uh, who was saved grew up to be a lawless, wild man. And one day he stood before a judge. He was being sentenced for a serious crime and the prisoner recognized that the judge was the man who years before had saved his life. So he pled for mercy on basis of that experience. But the words from the bench silenced his plea. Young man, then I was your Savior. Today, I am your judge. And I must sentence you to be hanged. One day, the Lord Jesus will say to rebellious sinners, during my long day of grace, I was your Savior. And I would have forgiven you and I would have received you and I would have welcomed you. But today, today I'm your judge. Depart from me. So we learn, having just skimmed over these Scriptures, the promises of God should comfort and encourage the people of God to trust God with His justice. He'll carry it out in the perfect way that only God can, but to take the burden off our shoulders and give no place to the enemy to use that to discourage us or embitter us. It's important for the Christian to trust God to deal with those things and to trust justice to Him. Justice to Him. Number one, Paul gives them the promise dealing with their reward. There's coming a reward and it's worth it. Keep pressing on. But then he encourages them with the promise of recompense. No, no, no. Those that troubled you, God will deal with them. Those that were cruel to you, God will take care of them. You just walk in love and walk in forgiveness. But God will deal with things so you don't have to worry about that. And then lastly and finally, it's, it's rest and relief. The promise of rest. They were under great pressure. And this word relief and rest is the word when you take a bow and arrow and you stretch it back, but then just let it go. And all the stress. And all the strain leaves. Look at the scripture with me, if you would, please. Let's look at um, verse 7a. And Paul writes, And God will give relief or rest to you who are troubled. God has relief for you. Now verse 10. 
That'll come on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. There's coming a day of perfect peace and perfect rest. You know, friends, knowing how, um, knowing how the end turns out is a great comfort, is it not? I mean, knowing how the, I mean, I don't know about you, every now and again, I'll tape a game, amen, I'll tape a game, and you, you know, there's no way I'm going to watch three hours unless I know who wins, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go and, and, um, but when you know, when you know the end of the story, isn't that right? You, you can watch it. And it doesn't matter what happens, you know the end of the story. It can look bad for your team, but you're not sweating. You know the end of the story. Isn't that right? That, that glorious year some decade ago when the, uh, the Giants beat the Patriots. Oh, that was wonderful. And I had it taped, but we had Sunday night service. Had to be there preaching Sunday night and, and had, had that, you know, I'm not going to go home and, and watch Brady tear up the Giants, you know, unless I knew ahead of time. But I found out the Giants were winning. I said, oh, I don't believe it. But uh, then I double checked and I believed it. And I said, I'm going to watch this game. And no matter what happened, I couldn't be moved. Amen? No matter how bad it looked, I said, ah, it's all right. Go ahead, devil. You're not going to beat us. No, no, no. We're coming back. We're coming back. We're... When you know the end of the story, it has a great effect on how you act in the here and the now. Paul says to that church, you're going to get rest and relief one day. You might be going through some strain and struggles right now. But don't you worry about it. We've read the end of the book and we win. Glory to God. We've seen the end of the story and there's going to be rest. Now, not just a rest from sin and not just a rest in this world. There's coming an eternal rest for the people of God. Oh, hallelujah. Bless His name forevermore. Where the wicked will cease their troubling and the weary will be at rest. And all the saints of the ages will sit at His feet and be blessed. God will recompense and repay trouble to the lost, but rest, relief, eternity. God's promise is going to turn out. It's going to be all right. Victory has your name on it. When Jesus is revealed, the rest comes to the child of God. Look at that Hebrews 4 and 9. We're going to finish with that. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4 and 9. There remains then... Sabbath rest. See, that author of Hebrews, he's looking back at those Old Testament stories and he's seeing them illustrations for New Testament truth. And he's speaking about that rest. You know, the Bible talks really about there's three rests. There's the rest that comes when we get our sins forgiven and come under that yoke. Amen? There's a rest when we stop struggling and straining to earn our salvation and we put our faith in Christ and we receive forgiveness. Oh, that, isn't it a rest to know your sins are forgiven? Amen? Isn't it a rest to know that Jesus paid it all and I don't gonna have to try to achieve it? Oh, what a, oh, and there's a, and then there's the rest uh, of going into that Canaan land. That's not heaven because there's battles in Canaan land. There'd be no battle in heaven. Amen? And it's going, it's possessing the promises. It's enjoying our inheritance. And there is a rest that comes when we learn to walk by faith and we learn how to stand on the promises and we learn to believe God. And there's a rest that comes in life. But that's the only place in that book where that word Sabbath rest. It's kind of, the author kind of made up the word actually, they tell you. This it means this is an eternal rest. This is the rest of heaven where there'll be no more anger. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more battles. There is a rest 
that awaits, awaits the people of God. And that is a promise that should encourage our hearts. That we go through things here. We face life like many other people face life. But there is a waiting for you and I. A place and a day. There will be no more wickedness. There will be no more bad doctor's reports. There will be no more struggles. There will be no more confusions. Oh, we wait for that day. Paul says the relief and the rest of glory and of eternity of heaven is for you. So you just keep marching and you just keep believing God is going to bring you through. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Wow. Paul encourages the saints. He encourages you and I by reminding us of God's promises. There's an, a reward that wait, awaits. There's a recompense that will come. And there's a rest that will be eternal for you and for I. May we be encouraged. By these great promises. Just remember your reward. It awaits you. And it will be worth everything. Just let God handle the injustices that you've had to go through and cast them on the shoulders of the righteous judge. Lay that burden in the sufficient hands of the Holy One. And lastly, it won't always be like this. For those that are battling and those that it won't always be like this. We're just passing through. God has a rest for the people of God. Can you say amen? Closer now than when you first believed. I want to go to this altar. If you're here today and your heart's not right with God, please don't leave till you get it right with God. If you're here today and you haven't received Christ or you've drifted, you're not serving Christ like you ought to and you know you need to lay some things down, don't leave. Before you come and make a fresh altar and say, Jesus, I make a fresh commitment. Forgive me, Lord. And give me a fresh start. And He will. He's a God of new beginnings. Maybe you're here today and you need to entrust something to God. Maybe you struggle and toss and turn about something that's beyond your ability to affect. And the enemy uses it to harass you. To mock God and accuse God. And maybe you just need to say, Lord, I need to lay this injustice. I need to lay this thing at your feet trusting you will deal with it properly. I can't judge the systems of men. I can't judge the courts of human beings. But I can trust the righteous judge and that perfect court above. And you need to give it to him. Then don't let the enemy use it to harass you and afflict you anymore. May the rest of us, can we give God praise for what awaits? Can we give God praise for the glories and the promises that we have? And if you have a need today, maybe you need a touch in your body. He'll touch you if you'll come down. Maybe you're just thirsty and you want more of God. He'll fill you if you'll come and receive. Would you stand with me, please, as we sing our last song and pray our last prayer. And then we open the altars and invite everyone to come and receive. Come and respond. Father, we thank You for Your great promises. Help us, Lord, to finish strong. Help us, Lord, to stay faithful every step of the way. Father, I ask You to lift burdens off Your people this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, as Your people look to You and trust in the God of justice, as they cast that thing, that situation, that pain, that that old thing, as they cast it upon Your shoulders, oh Lord, let burdens break. Lift that burden off their shoulders, O God. 
and break that burden off their back and let the reward that awaits us encourage our hearts and strengthen our faiths this day. And Father, I ask you move powerfully at this altar. Father, please fill thirsty people. You said if they hunger and thirst, they shall be satisfied. Lord, I pray that whoever comes hungry and thirsting for more will get a filling, will get a freshness. And Lord, I ask you to heal hurting people and give someone that's here today a fresh baptism of joy and of gladness. I pray that something will break and the joy of the Lord will fill them anew as we praise you and as we thank you. And all God's people said, Let's worship the Lord. Do you need prayer? Please come. If you need to make it right, don't walk out. Make it right. Respond to the mercy. Respond to the grace of our God and our King.